I started working at Blockbusters on Sunday the 2nd of July, 2006. Not that the date really matters, but as working there turned out to be my longest stint in one job ever, I suppose it's good to get some perspective. After handing in my application, I was given an interview, which I passed, and agreed terms of 25 hours a week at minimum wage, which back then was £5 and 8p, with fortnightly pay. It seemed reasonable enough, and not exactly inundated with job offers. I accepted it straight away, and within a week, I'd worked my first shift under the guise and tutelage of two members of staff who'd been at Blockbusters for years. David Ross, the manager, wasn't there for my first day, as there was a shift rotation policy, but he filled me in with everything I needed to know during my very long and exhausting job offering phone call. When I finally got to work with him a few days later, I quickly realised that he was actually a decent guy. Pushing a tall five foot five, bald and madly into football, and of course films, David was the most forthright and open manager I had ever come across. However, he just didn't stop talking. And that's not to say I had an issue with it. I just put it down to him wanting to make me feel as comfortable as possible. And to be fair to him, the way he was from the start ensured that. Some of the other staff who worked there when I started were pretty odd though. Other than two full-time employees, everyone else studied at UWE and I found myself scoping them all out once I'd met them. All the guys, for example, epitomised every preconception and stereotype you can have about blockbusters and video shop employees. They were geeky, unbelievably dorky, <laughs> get a life nerd, and able to quote lines from all the latest films and TV shows in mid-conversation without any trouble whatsoever. <laughs> we shared very little in common, so I didn't class any of them as a threat to personality and attention-wise. And in the hunt for new friends, I didn't see myself socialise with any of them outside of work. They just weren't my sort. The two other girls weren't anything to shout nor get excited about either. One was a combination of Welsh and Indian, which I had never seen before in my life. She was of average figure and had a prettyish face that was slightly tarnished by the number of piercings poking out of it. But overall, she was a good sport. We knew how to wind each other up, albeit playfully although to the others we were flirting, but I had no interest in her whatsoever. The other girl wasn't much different, but her and I weren't ever going to win any best friend competitions. If in some alternate universe I had not taken issue with her frumpiness, it would have been her chain smoking. There's nothing worse than working in close proximity with someone <coughs> who constantly smells like an ashtray. I know that's quite superficial, and although her personal hygiene really got to me, I actually didn't warm to her at all, because she annoyed the shit out of me. When I first met her, 
I quickly saw she lacked people skills and common sense. And for a student, I found that quite surprising. Black culture was a fascination to her also, which I supposed was a consequence of hailing from Norwich. But her ignorance held no bounds. Don't get me wrong, she was never malicious with it. But her shock that I didn't speak gangster or street pretty much cemented a negative impression of her from the off. Nuggets of stupid wisdom would appear at least once or twice during every shift. The fact she felt to say during a group chat about one of the films in store that gay people have suffered the same prejudice and fight for equal rights as black people, if not worse, showed how moronic she was. And she certainly didn't help herself. Aside from all this, the tenancy on my room was due to end, just before I started at Blockbuster. So that meant I had to go through the whole rigmarole of finding somewhere new to live. The whole moving around thing had begun to take its toll, and not living with the same people every year either wasn't ideal. I'd got on really well with one of my housemates, and was given the chance to live with him. But as he went home for the summer, and I was stuck around to work, that meant I needed somewhere that could accommodate me pretty quickly. I spent ages looking for alternative options with no luck, and was unsure what I was going to do, until I struck up a conversation about it with my friend, Mark Bell. I'd met Mark through the ex-housemate who punched me, playing football with them both on occasion, and like my instantaneous relationship with JJ, Mark and I hit it off. Soon, Mark stopped asking our mutual acquaintance to play football for his five-a-side team altogether, after hearing what he'd done to me. And I greatly valued that gesture. It showed solidarity. And for that alone, I would always have the utmost respect for him. 25 years old in his third year at uni, and Bristol born and bred. He was a really chilled, laid-back guy. He even took the time to introduce me to his housemates and friends as well, which, knowing my situation, I guessed was an attempt to widen my friendship circle. But they were much older than me, and I found connecting with them difficult. Mark, on the other hand, I never had that problem with and sat in his car, being driven to football one evening. He offered me a way out of my housing dilemma. Let me speak to my mum. She might be able to help you, Mark said. I laughed. <laughs> what? What, what? What do you mean? I asked. To date, I'd never met his mum. And I certainly hadn't heard about her before then either. Why on earth would his mum want to help an ex-student working at Blockbuster, who she didn't know? Mum's looking for a lodger for a small box room, but it's affordable and she won't have a problem you living there. <laughs> Mark, I'm not living with your mum, man. 
I scoffed. Listen to how weird that sounds. Just two of us in the house, yeah? Don't be an idiot and stop being so proud, will you? You need the help and she needs the lodger. Plus, it won't be just you and her. My brother lives there too, so shall I ask her and sort it? The idea was scary. I'd only known Mark for just over six months. And as much as him and I become really good friends, I wasn't at all comfortable with the idea. But I didn't have any other alternatives. I didn't like the idea of being helped out in such a big way because it made me feel like a charity case. Please, sir. I want some more. I understand it was stupid to feel like that. Because really, at two hundred pounds a month, rent there would have been an absolute steal. I reluctantly and begrudgingly agreed to let him sort it out. And he smiled and said he would let me know whether she would be okay with it. The next time I got the chance to go out was to celebrate a housemate's birthday. So a couple of us took her out to the city centre. We met a few of her friends whilst we were out and considering it had been so long since I'd been to the centre I actually had a really good time. We ended up in a club called The Works which was notoriously full of both local people and students on a weekly basis. I want to first say I had nothing against the local female clientele in Bristol but we didn't have anything in common so I always did my utmost best to keep away from them at all opportunities. Some of them were loud and quite boisterous and rather aggressive for women so it meant that talking to them was always a mission and harder than it really needed to be. Overhearing how Danielle and her mates got rat down Southmead Park drinking cider all day wasn't at all appealing and I felt such antics were beneath me. I wasn't trying to be aloof but there was no point wasting my time especially as I didn't want them and I assume more so, they wouldn't want me. That night, however, was different, and I don't really know why. I'd only have to walk past a group of girls, and the largest, and least favourable, would leap out from among them, grabbing my behind, as if it were the last hamburger in the world. If not that, then I'd be stopped and asked ridiculous non-conversation starters like what the time was or if I was having a good night and at first it was flattering but after the fifth or sixth personal space invasion I understood and remembered why I didn't like socialising with local women by the tenth time I'd had enough and started to walk off mid-conversation 
and when Rachel Nunn stopped me, I was about to do the same before she said something that took me completely by surprise. Sorry, you probably get this all the time, but hasn't anyone ever told you you look like Simon Webb? Simon Webb? What, you mean the guy from Beep Show? You know, the black guy from Blue? I looked at her for a second and then burst out laughing. She had some guts. I look nothing like Simon Webb. In fact, if anything, he looked like me. But her bravery and chat-up line was commendable. So I gave her the time of day. We exchanged some back and forward dialogue, mainly contesting my new lookalike status. And soon, I'd pretty much forgotten my no locals rule. I didn't find her at all attractive. And although her body was okay, her face left something to be desired. I remember thinking her nose looked like the melting witches in The Wizard of Oz. Which tickled me so much that I burst out laughing again <laughs> mid-conversation. Of course, she asked me what was so funny and caught off guard and incapable of quickly thinking of a believable lie. I quickly took out my phone and asked her if she wanted to exchange numbers. I don't know what possessed me to do that. And luckily she agreed because if she declined, it would have been more than awkward. And I don't think my confidence would have been able to take such a knockback from someone like her. We parted ways with me relieved and her marching triumphantly back to her friends, waving her phone in the air like a trophy. She was like a leech after that, texting me all the time and wanting to meet up with me doing everything I could to make excuses as to why I couldn't. They were always plausible and I wasn't trying to be rude, more like spare her feelings. After all, it wasn't my fault I was, in quotes, working all the time, but it didn't stop her attempting to see me. You can then imagine my surprise to find her and another girl I knew in my living room when I came home from work one afternoon. Rachel was sat in my chair, watching the football with my housemates, all of them having a good old laugh. If you didn't know any better, you'd have thought she actually lived there. Um, sorry, but what are you doing here? I asked defiantly, slightly annoyed as if she'd gone to serious lengths to befriend my friends and infiltrate my house. <laughs> Hello to you too, Liam. She said back. All in all, Rachel failed to let me know that although she was a local lass, she was in fact a student as well, studying physiotherapy. And coincidentally, the other girl who she was with was her housemate and a friend of my housemate. 
making us all mutual acquaintances. That was the problem with university. Forget six degrees of separation. Everyone knew someone who knew someone else who knew you. And that's only two degrees. Once I'd gotten over the shock, I cracked open the beer and settled down to watch the football with them, not wanting to be antisocial. It was the least I could do, having made a fool of myself with the SS-style interrogation, and I didn't want to cause a scene. That was the summer of the 2006 World Cup in Germany, and we sat down to watch Germany versus Portugal which Germany won, and by the end of the game, I'd slightly warmed her. That doesn't mean I all of a sudden wanted something to happen. It just meant I could tell she had a decent personality, one I could tolerate for a period of time without getting bored. Once the game ended, I excused myself and went upstairs to my room to play my computer and had only just started my latest league match on Pro Evolution Soccer when there was a knock on my door. Yep, what's up? I shouted. There's really no point building up any suspense here. You know who it was. It'd have been amazing to turn around and say Maya Jammer or Florence Pugh was at my door. But they weren't. It was Rachel with the biggest grin on her face and she asked if she could come in. I didn't even get a chance to say no or keep her talking in the doorway because she walked in and closed the door behind her. Straight away I told her to stay where she was and not to bother me for a bit whilst I played in quotes an important game and I made her sit on the floor and talk to me whilst I finished it off because there was no way I was going to stop what I was doing to entertain her. Although I wanted her gone and believe me I really did I couldn't bring myself to tell her to leave so I sat with my back to her tapping away hoping that the game wouldn't end and wishing that it would somehow go to extra time prolonging the inevitable I knew what she wanted, and by continuing to play, she knew I knew, but I guess this only made her more determined. It was when the game had come to a close, when I'd kept the score level for as long as possible, that I heard Rachel get up, and with my back to her still, I assumed I'd won our battle, and that she was about to leave me in peace. But instead, I heard her walk over to me and force her hands down my tracksuit bottoms, grabbing a hold of me. I recoiled back in terror. Hey yo, what are you doing man? What the f- I clamoured. But before I had a chance to finish, she grabbed me again, working away like she was rolling dice and hadn't eaten for a week. Yep, I stopped fighting soon after. It got to a point where it was too enjoyable to tell her she was a mentalist and seriously invading my personal space. No girl 
hideous or otherwise, had pounced on me like that before. And I imagine that sort of behaviour was only reserved for celebrities, serviced by those fame-hungry. And the way she went on with me was no different. However, I didn't mean to sleep with her though. Honestly. It just sort of happened. And probably because I had shitty willpower. I'd love to blame it on the beers I had. But as it was during the day, I'd only had two bottles. So I can't really say that. As soon as I was done though, I instantly felt bad. I'd let myself down, lost my morals, and let my lower half make decisions for me, rather than sticking to my convictions. I felt sick, and there was absolutely no way her and I would lie together and cuddle like she wanted. I still didn't have the balls to tell her where to go, so I lied and told her I had friends coming over, and that she needed to leave. It sounded genuine enough, and after chit-chatting for a little bit longer, she left. I took a shower the moment she was gone, as if it was possible to wash off the moments of disgust over the past 45 minutes. It obviously didn't, and I still felt as bad as I had at the start. All I could do was think about Sophie and what she would say if she found out. My stomach churned. I was racked with guilt. And maybe that was because my heart still held a flame for Sophie. I don't know. Whatever the reason, the whole sexual promiscuity thing I was trying wasn't working. Shell, Portia, Rosa and Rachel were living proof of that. I was super fond of Sophie, bordering on perhaps loving her I guess. But the attention and how easy it was to get involved with other girls was just as appealing too. A repeat of the Rachel incident and the subsequent guilt wasn't tempting enough though. And I made the decision to call the promiscuity a day. I owed it to Sophie, and to us, and after everything we'd been through, it would have been stupid to let go someone I so clearly cared about, on account of some sexual gratification. I also figured living with Mark's mum would seriously inhibit my chances of bringing back loads of different people back anyway, so moving there would be good for me, and it would mean I could finally have some happiness. I had to stick it out with Sophie and show her that I meant business, which would turn out to be famous last words. <laughs>